0: If you're a health entrepreneur, coach, or practitioner that wants to turn your expertise into a high six or seven figure virtual business with less stress, so you can impact more people at a deeper level while making more money and enjoying a greater quality of life in the process, then the Healthpreneur Podcast is for you. I'm your host, Uriel Kame. I'm a former pro athlete, leading health expert, New York Times bestselling author, and the founder of Healthpreneur, where I help experts just like you create and fill high end virtual coaching programs that create dream come true results for your clients. Now, for a free and in-depth training on how to do just that without manual prospecting, one-on-one coaching, or having to spend years building your online following, head on over to healthpreneurgroup.com forward slash training and jump on to our seven-figure health business blueprint training today. And now, let's get to today's episode. All right, welcome back to the show. I've got another great treat for you today. Uh, it's my good buddy, Jonathan Goodman, who's actually, it's amazing how many health and fitness professionals live within a five or 10 minute drive of my house. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. And I'm very, very blessed to uh, to have this proximity to people like him and Vince Del Monte and, and Eric Wong and a lot, of, a lot of other good friends who are doing great things in this space. Um, but John is, John is He's a really, really great person and a really unique and big thinker. And that's why I'm really excited about our our interview today, because the way John thinks is very different from what you've heard on this podcast. Um, He's a deep thinker. He's kind of like a renaissance man. He really enjoys the craft, the art of building a business, the art of doing things at a high level. And you'll kind of get a sense for that. In this episode, our, our our theme for this conversation, I mean every conversation is very organic and kind of does its thing, but our theme in this one is really about how do you how do you love the crap out of your existing customers and clients? to the point where you don't even need any more and still build, uh, still build an amazingly profitable business. And that's the theme of what we're gonna talk about. And we'll obviously talk about a few other things, but I think it's a really, really great conversation for you to, uh, to start thinking about in your own business. And just in case you don't know who John Goodman is, let me give you a bit of a background. So he's the creator of the largest collaborative blog for personal trainers, which is called the Personal Trainer Development Center. It's over at theptdc.com, and the founder of the world's first certification for online trainers called the Online Trainer Academy. He's also authored seven books, including Ignite the Fire, Nomics, and the seminal textbook on online personal training. He's been featured in Men's Health, Forbes, Entrepreneur, and many other magazines. And originally from Toronto, he spends most of his time traveling abroad in the winter And we actually went to the same high school together, although he was a couple years younger, so we didn't really cross paths too much. But a really great friend, doing some amazing stuff in the online fitness space. And this is somebody you definitely want to pay attention to. So, without any further ado, let's bring John onto the show. Jonathan Goodman,
1: what's up, buddy? Welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to talk to you, even though you're like 50 minutes away from me.
0: Seriously, I know. like We're like literally next door neighbor's. I mean, in terms of a big city, we kind of are next-door neighbors within a couple minutes' drive, which is pretty awesome. Dude, what's, uh, what's going on, man? How's the summer been for you?
1: summer's been great, man. You know, I, I, my son is 15 months now. Yeah. So he's, he's old enough to be walking around and playing around. He loves the water. So we're just enjoying every minute. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: And you guys live down by the lake in Toronto. You guys travel a lot in the wintertime. Give our listeners a bit of perspective of what your lifestyle looks like because it's really interesting.
1: Yeah, uh it it is and it's it's fun and it's getting to be more interesting. Um my wife and I have traveled the last six winters. So, you know, I'm a red-blooded Canadian who hasn't worn hockey skates in six years.
0: And traveled guys, not not like they went on a week vacation. Like maybe right. elaborate on that.
1: Yeah, okay. So so we generally left beginning of October and come back March or April. Um we skip the really bad months and we generally go and live in places like like at least two months at a time, usually three to five. And, and I mean, we've lived in Costa Rica twice, Thailand twice, been in Hawaii a few times, uh, lived in Uruguay, spent a bunch of time in Brazil. I mean, I'm just scratching the surface, but, um, but, but we've had a lot of fun. We've had a lot of adventure and actually all of next year, we're going to, I don't even know if you know this Yuri, but all of next year leaving in December, we're going to be gone for an entire year. Wow. Always had this dream to spend, um, three months in four different cities. Cool. And so we're going to be in Sayulita, Mexico. Each of these for about three months at a time. Sayulita, Mexico, uh, Athens, Greece, Montenegro, Kotor, Montenegro, Tel Aviv, Israel, and um, and Granada, Spain. Each of those are week. some
0: sick places. And that's actually that's so that's one of the things that we've wanted to do with our kids is take them out of school for a year, and do mm-hmm. exactly that. It's we're just trying to figure out how we want to do that in terms of like homeschooling or have a tutor with us. Your little guy's still young enough to be able to uh
1: a little guy's still young enough. we thought about bringing an au pair with us for the whole time, and we decided against it. What yeah. we're going to do in most of the places is try to find a local nanny. you know Calvin had a nanny in the Dominican Republic in Costa Rica last year in mm-hmm. both places and and it was cool because they didn't speak a word of English, so not only did it force us to speak caveman Spanish, but I mean Calvin responded to Spanish and yeah. how amazing is that to give to a young a young child growing up. Totally. Just that experience. So, so they we're going to pick try it
0: up so easily at that
1: age. Anywhere, we go, yeah. Even like like local daycares and local programs and stuff like that. Just not to get them away from us, but it's just it's just new culture, new experience. So yeah. Um. So I mean, it'll be fun. It'll be a challenge. Yeah. He'll be you know he'll be two years old.
0: That's cool. That's awesome. So I mean, what what I love about um like you as a person and this kind of translates into business is you kind of you do things that are a bit against the grain. Like you don't really do traditional stuff um with how you've run your business and you started off as a trainer and mm-hmm. very quickly over time realized that well you wouldn't be able to live the lifestyle you have now if you're still training clients in person right
1: right which really i didn't different. i didn't desire i didn't know that i wanted i definitely knew that i wanted to have a family yeah and i definitely knew that training the way that i was training was fantastic when i was 23 but when I had a family, you know, starting at 6 in the morning and finishing at 9.30 at night probably wasn't going to lead to the most stable family life. Yeah. You know, I, I, I was wise enough in my young adolescent days to know that. Um, but but I had no idea that I, that I liked traveling and living abroad so much that that wasn't even anything that I thought about.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. So talk to us about what that initial transition looked like from offline to online. And what were some of the challenges either internally or externally that you had to overcome to get things going?
1: Sure, I, I like this question, it's a good question, Yuri. Uh, the, the biggest challenge for me is trying to combat this North American, you know, go bigger, go bigger, go bigger, go bigger mentality. In We live in a society where it feels like making more money is winning, and it feels like winning is the point.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't think that winning is the point. And so, I've I, I don't optimize. I mean, I don't make as much money as I could, and and I'm I'm happy to say that and it's right for me and it might not be right for everybody, but I've kind of hit this point where the business is sensational. We do we have such good relationships with our customers. We build things that I'm so unbelievably proud of. I take so much pride in the art of what we create, you know, down to the paper stock and the typography and the ink quality. Mm-hmm. Really, I take immense pride in it and and love it and absolutely love it like. Like the debrief of going over our materials and our newsletter because we put out like a print newsletter. So going over the newsletter each month when it comes out and like marking it up and thinking about how we're going to improve it moving forward. Like, like I love that. I truly, deeply love that. And and at the end of the day, I'm having fun. And I'm making more than enough money. And I think and, – and and our business is growing really, really nicely without – really paid ads just through word of mouth and and i keep going back to kind of this this mindset that's become so important to me which is just like as long as you're having fun as long as you're doing things that are, are very purposeful i think make as much money as you can yeah but the second that stuff stops it's too much for sure and i feel like a big burden in this in this ecosystem that we live in, where you have to make more, you have to go bigger, you have to scale as much as you possibly can, as quickly as you possibly can. And we review men and women who do this. And and you and I both know a lot of people who have gone big and who have made a lot of money, who are absolutely positively miserable. And so I think I think that's the biggest kind of I, I wouldn't even call it a mindset shift. I think I think that was always kind of how I thought, but I I keep becoming more and more clear in that, mm-hmm. I think as I have a little bit more success and and I have a little bit more success and I have a little bit more success, I realize just what success truly means to me and the company and and the importance of keeping the vision of the company intact
0: yeah that 's awesome well we had uh, we had Jay Ruger on the show a couple episodes ago. We were talking about this whole idea of like success versus fulfillment, which was like a okay. huge epiphany that he had, which was like he was miserable, he was doing well. And then he just got to a point where he was like, dude, what I love most are people. And yeah. I'm going to just do more things that are, are like people-centric. And he feels so much more happy and fulfilled because of that. So I think it's an important lesson because, as you said, money, success, winning are revered in our culture. I mean, if we right. look at – especially when we look at prominent figures in the entrepreneurial space, people like – Um, let's say grant cardone or you know people of that of that nature where it's all about like kill 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 in the sense of like just go after the prey hunt it down close the sale make the money and i get that that you know that's going to resonate with some people and that's fine Um, but i think for everyone listening like you really have to find your thing like what's most meaningful to you because there's nothing worse than chasing a path or following a path that you know you feel terrible about at the end
1: And it's not, you know, it does, it it has nothing to do with nice sounding buzzwords like heart centered.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, like, like those, those types of superficial terms really don't mean anything. Um, it's great language to market with if you're selling to other people, but like, as you alluded to, I mean, there are certainly folks out there who should be pushing as much as they possibly can and And shouldn't be making as much as they possibly can now, I would argue that the whole mentality of kill, 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 and I haven't studied Grant Codone, so I don't know really much about him but but the idea of there's always going to be another customer, so like sell hard today and 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 if somebody doesn't take action, that's their fault there's more people, there's eight billion people in the world like. You know, that, that's right for some, but I would, I would actually argue that that's a really poor long-term plan for no other reason than you can't hide today. Yeah. There are closed groups, communities, review organizations that exist that you don't even know exist, that if you do a good enough job on a big enough scale, we'll talk about you, and you have zero control over it. The only thing that you can do is protect your reputation at all costs because was,
0: and that goes back to what you said about like putting stuff out that you love that is like art really,
1: and not getting corners care people exceptionally well like yeah. like we have the same with our customer service team um and and the saying goes it might not be our fault but it's our problem yeah and and you know because we do so much physical fulfillment a lot of the time it's not our fault stuff doesn't arrive or like you know we ship to 80 countries like stuff doesn't arrive. Postal services don't deliver it. Um, people get upset. It takes a while for things to get there. If they do get there, we have to reship. We have to refund sometimes because we've just decided that there are some countries that we just we just flat out can't get stuff into. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we make it right. You know, even if it's not our fault, we'll make it right and we'll go above and beyond. And we have this whole formula that we follow for that. But, but I think that that's important. I mean – one person who might feel like they've been wronged by you is a problem. And it's a much bigger problem than it ever used to be, especially when it's becoming more and more difficult and expensive to acquire customers than it ever has been. And it's continuing to get more difficult and expensive every day. Your only chance is to have an enthusiastic, huge base of previous customers who love you, who shout off the rooftops, how great you are.
0: Mm-hmm. So how does, how does somebody get there? Because you know, there are people that are, that are listening that are maybe on the, they're wet behind the ears, they're getting things going, they're not really sure if they're if they're going to be uh, selling products or coaching. Maybe they've done so offline, maybe they're doing, they want to do so online. Uh, and obviously there are listeners who are more advanced. So, I mean, you guys have really done some amazing stuff with, uh, with your business. How does somebody get, kind of go about following those types of footsteps?
1: Well, whether it's on a small scale and you have 5, 10, 15 customers or whether you have thousands, I think that the same principles apply. It's understanding that your existing customers are the most important people on your planet. Mm-hmm. And how can you, A, maximize every touch point with that customer? When they sign up for you, we were talking before about it, both of our, you know both of our friend Joey Coleman, wrote a book called Never Lose a Customer Again. This thing is the True. Bible.
0: Like, you guys, read that book it's it'll change your business for sure.
1: It's brilliant. And it not just it doesn't just talk about some of the stuff that, that I'm gonna talk about. We're actually featured in the book for a couple pages because of what we do, but but I learned a lot from the book too of understanding the customer journey after they purchase. Yeah. What is what's what's the first engagement that you have with the customer right after they purchase? Usually it's sending them an email with a receipt. So that's a touch point that you have to send. How can you how can you make that a remarkable experience? Mm-hmm. And you can. Because all that that email needs to do is that email needs to basically confirm their purchase, introduce them to where to go if they need something, ideally with the team, tell them what's gonna happen next. But you can also surprise and delight them with that email. You can also entertain them with that email. Mm-hmm. And we do. And I can you know I can send you an example of that if you wanna post it in the show notes. But we we signed up our, our marketing newsletter that we put out. Um, we had hundreds of responses when we first launched it to the initial email. Like like how many responses have you ever gotten to an initial email welcoming somebody to your service? Yeah, for sure. It's 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 incredible what you can do. Um, if you're selling digital stuff, if you're in a service industry or anything like that, man, send postcards. Like it's the easiest thing. We have, my assistant has a job. I think I told this at your, at your event last year. Your, my assistant has a task, has a weekly task, where she follows a host of our best customers. She has a Facebook account connected to them. So on a smaller scale, I mean, you're just connected with your customers. Mm-hmm. And she sends me each week a list of five people to send a postcard to, a link to their social media account or wherever they've mentioned something that they've done. You know, they got their black belt or they open up a gym or something like that. And, um, and their mailing address. And I sit down once a week on Friday afternoon and I write a postcard to those five people from wherever I am in the world. That's awesome. And like a, like, a, like a postcard like your grandma used to send you. Like I go to tourist stands and kiosks and buy postcards wherever I am. And if I'm in Toronto, I use custom stamps. Mm-hmm. Because again, every touch point matters. When was the last time you ever got a postcard with an interesting different stamp? Like like my stamps have, well, I guess they can't see me because this is on a podcast. But my stamps, like I have people whose kids collect my stamps <laughs> <laughs> the because it's stamp so completely ridiculous and stupid it's just like my face waving or like a cartoon version of me or like me pointing at you or something like yeah, that that's awesome it's just idiotic and insane but it's a couple extra pennies like yeah. it's, a, it's a disproportionate return for time and money invested which is i think what we always want to look for in business
0: yeah i, I think this is such a this is a huge huge thing for people to understand. And this is something that I am 100% guilty of not doing to the fullest extent in my health business. And I've always believed that because it's such high volume, low price points, um, you know, and then in terms of manpower and kind of doing all that stuff. But mm-hmm. I really believe that we would be a lot further ahead yeah. if we did those little things, you know, even if someone bought a $10 ebook. Um, sure. but With Healthpreneur, it's very different because people are paying a lot more we do things like every single touch point, whether they enroll in one of our workshops, or getting personal videos from me, thank yeah. you cards, all sorts of stuff. Um, but it, yeah. it's such a good, like one of, the, one of the, um, the questions I used to ask myself is, what would have to be true for our business to grow, let's say profitably, if we never acquired a new leader customer mm. again? Okay. So it's almost like you have a force field or a bubble around your business. Like what would have to happen? Like how do you and it's just like that kind of constraining question forces you to the, think about things like this. It's like how do we how do we better love our clients? How do we better serve them? How do we help them get better results? And I think so many people are fo- and, and maybe this is just a human uh, a human instinct is we're so much we're, we're so much more focused on what's next. Sure. Right, like who's the next customer? Who's the next sale? Instead of okay, let's appreciate what we have mm-hmm. and like appreciate the shit out of that
1: person. I think I think that's part of it, Yuri. I think the other part of it. A, I just wanted to say how much I love that question with the bubble around you. And if we never got another customer, how could our customer? How could our business grow? I love that question. I'm gonna I'm gonna think about. I'm gonna go for a walk and think about that a little bit there today. You <laughs> it just, it just blew my mind on this podcast. Um, I, I think the other part of it is the other part of of that that idea is we put we're we're just uber rational beings we put entirely too much emphasis on things that can be measured Mm -hmm. and too little on things that can't and yes i understand that long term customer value can be measured but be honest with yourself how many how many people listening here have ever measured that or have any way to ever measure that so what you're doing is what you're doing when you're taking care of existing customers is a you're just being a good person B, you're having fun, and isn't that what business is really about? Like, like once you reach a certain level of success, it's like fun and fulfillment, um, which, which some people would argue with me on, but that's fine. They're not the right customers for me anyway. And, and at the end of the day, um, what really matters are the things that can't be measured. And I am very careful at what I measure, and I don't measure much because I truly don't believe it matters. But if you were to break down the numbers, I mean, you talked about your health business. So if I send five postcards out to people every single week, let's say not over the holidays, Mm -hmm. that's 250 postcards a year. That's 1,000 postcards every four years. That's 1,000 people that I've now made a very impactful personal connection with that no other business in the world has ever done for that person. And that's scalable. You know, you talked about sending videos. So I track hashtags that have to do with my name and my products. And anytime anybody posts anything, pictures of our books, pictures of my book, anything like that, I not only like the picture, but I go into that account, I follow that person and I'll send them a video on Instagram saying thank you. Like this is what I do when I'm walking to my office for 10 minutes in the morning. Um, Those are the little things. And those are the gloriously unsexy, unscalable, manual things that grow a business over time.
0: Yeah, and as you said, it's the things you can't measure that matter the most. And and that's the dilemma is everyone is focused on ROI, right? Which is fine. Um, But at the end of the day, it's, it's relationships, it's love, it's happiness, it's all that stuff that is most meaningful to humans. And I think this conversation is so valuable because... I think for the listeners, it's really like be able to step back and understand, okay, yes, like you have to make money in your business. At the same time though, how do we make money? It's nothing but a tool. Yeah, exactly. Money is
1: nothing but a tool to make more impact, to create more things, to, to, to improve and create more transformations for other people. And the marginal value of a dollar continues to decrease every day. Yeah. yeah you need to use that money. You need to make that money work for you.
0: And I think it's a mindset shift too, because there might be people listening. To, oh, this is a great idea, and I'll get to that when, right? I've, I've achieved a certain level, mm. but I think part of the objective here is to get people to think about this from day one, even if they just have one client or one customer, because it, it's like the famous, you know, the famous saying of like, oh, if you put, if you can't save ten percent of a dollar, you're not going to be able to save ten percent of ten million dollars, mm. right? It's it's the yeah. habit. Of being able to start that from day one and i think guys if you're listening to this obviously you are um what john is talking about is super super valuable and impactful just think about any businesses that you've ever done business with how often you've been blown away by that experience i don't know about you john but for me it's been very rare i'll give you a prime example
1: i was in a room so it was an event that i was speaking at and i was listening to one of the other speakers and um and they put up their. They 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 said something to the audience, and they were like, "How many people here have ever gotten a handwritten code from any company they've ever done business with?" One person put up their hand. Yeah, and they were my customer. <laughs> and there was over two hundred people in the room. It, this stuff's just not done. And 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 the other piece of it is when it's done. And I see people like bragging about this in entrepreneur groups. Like, yeah, I sent everybody a postcard. There's this awesome service that you can you can write and scan in your handwriting, and it makes a font with your handwriting, and then they'll print it on a postcard for you and mail it out to your customers. I'm like, if you're going to be genuine, be genuine. If you're not, don't. Yeah. There are so many reasons why that makes you look worse than not doing anything at all. Oh, for Pretending sure. like you're doing something personal for somebody, yeah. but obviously not, is so much worse than not doing anything.
0: I actually just got an email yesterday from somebody who I, I, I would know kind of well. I was actually uh, on their podcast maybe about a year ago and we kind of kept in touch. She sends me an email and she's like, like I love what you're doing with the Ultimate Health Podcast. I'm like... That's not my podcast. That's another <laughs> right. person's show. Um, so I'm like, yeah, like that's an example of like, like little things. Like so the details matter.
1: Books. They're not even emailing you, right? Yeah,
0: it, totally. Exactly. Like that, that relationship now has been somewhat severed because of that lack of attention.
1: Well, that's it. It's, it's a lack of attention, but it's almost like I get what you're doing. Like you're trying to play the game. Yeah, exactly. You're trying to play the game of being genuine and, and, and building a real relationship with me. But you're doing it in such an obviously fake way that now you're just trying to climb a ladder. Yeah. And I don't want to be one of the wrongs on that ladder.
0: Totally. I mean, there's a, there's a restaurant in Toronto. I don't know if you've ever been to Marcello's. Really good Italian restaurant up in yeah. St. Clair and uh, Dufferin. We used to get so before kids, so BK, um, we used to, go, like Amy and I used to go there like once a week. It was amazing. Like really good Italian food. And we'd always get tiramisu for dessert. And we've been there like every single week. I, I, got, I don't even know, like dozens upon dozens of times. Right. Never once did they say, you know what, tonight th- th- like dessert's on us. Sure. And it's not that we're expecting that, right? But those are like little things that don't cost the business pretty much any money. But that little, that little gesture would have turned us into like raving fans for life. And since then, we really haven't gone back to that restaurant for like seven or eight years.
1: Or how funny would it be if you walked into the restaurant and they saw you, and before taking your order, they walked out with a thing of tiramisu with the menus. Exactly, right? And they gave it to you before you even had your food.
0: Yeah. Like, I mean, we get this. This is is so much fun in business because it just allows you to be creative.
1: Allison, I'll tell you a secret. I've never told anybody this before, but when we get back from our trip— one of the things that Allison and I will probably do is buy a building downtown and open up a cafe that turns into like a private restaurant at night. Cool. For cool. no other reason than I'm so fascinated with customer service. Yeah. And I think that the the model, the bubble tea slash coffee shop model is good. Mm-hmm. I think somebody who understands the basics of real customer service and pricing strategy can freaking knock it out of the park. Yeah. Like and and it's just it like you have these things, I mean bubble tea blows my mind because you you're charging like eight bucks for a freaking tea.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like the mock-up on that stuff is insane. And when you have a mock-up on something like that, the same with coffee, right? The mock is crazy. When you have a mock-up like that, the things that you can do totally. for your customers, the space that that gives you is really quite interesting. And, and it's not just the mock-up. It's understanding that when somebody is paying a premium price for a drink like that, they're not a price-sensitive consumer. Which, which opens up so many more opportunities for um, automatic billings. Yeah. You know, getting them signed up for subscription type programs for your cafe to ensure they're coming back and improve cash flow. Mm-hmm. For upsells, add ons, cross sales.
0: For social events with for existing, all, like all sorts of stuff.
1: You know, become a member of our, of our coffee club yeah. and you get access. To our special phone-to-table restaurant that only has four tables once a week, mm-hmm. where we bring in a chef. Yeah. It's not open to the public. The exclusivity. only exclusivity. You can get in here, is if you're a member of our monthly club.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great.
1: You know, like like you could just there's just so much that you can do there. So anyway, you talked about a restaurant and it brought that up for me. Like like I wanted I want not a restaurant but like a cafe type thing for no other reason than I don't need to make money with it. Mm-hmm. And it would just be such a interesting playground to, to try out all of these things that I see working so well online that I can't that I can only imagine would work many many folds stronger.
0: Be like a some big social experiment. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, I was at. We went to the VIP theaters last night at Cineplex. I don't know if you've ever been.
1: Once. Dude... Uh- I didn't get it.
0: So I haven't been to VIP for 20 years. Like I'm like, and the first time I went, I was like, man, we went to Where'd see Mission Impossible. To- What's that? You go to the Islington one? Yeah, yeah, I've been there. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, okay.
0: So we went to see Mission Impossible last night, and I'm like, you know what? We walk into the theater, and there's like no one there. There's like it's yeah. chill. There's like a, a bar slash you know restaurant. The popcorn area is like there's like no lineup, and then we get into the theater, and it's like big cushiony leather seats people are coming up and taking your orders like if you wanted to order wine or food like not popcorn but legitimate you know menu items oh yeah and i'm thinking to myself this was two extra dollars per ticket for a better experience you know i mean they could have marked that up 20 extra dollars per ticket, and i'm I'm sure some people would have paid for that but Mm -hmm. it's just like as you said like there's always going to be people who want that that level of of care, of attention, of...
1: If you look into that whole model that they did, that's actually been more or less a failure, the VIP cinemas. And it's because, it's probably because they didn't mock it up enough.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: totally. They, they wanted to sell a... They, they, they went from the standpoint... And if you read into this, it's pretty interesting. They wanted to to... They wanted to take away business from restaurants. They were like, well, people are coming to the movies on a night out. And they're going for dinner first somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to a movie. Well, you can replace the dinner, but you can't replace the movie. So why don't we bring the dinner in here and we'll get that business in addition to the movie. Um, and so so that's what they did. They have a full restaurant and all that kind of stuff. The problem is nobody wanted to replace the dinner. Yeah, They wanted to have the two separate spots. They didn't want to go to one place for everything. And so... So, so they read, it seems like Cineplex kind of read the situation wrong, where they offer this premium service that's VIP, which is great. You know, you go, into a se- you go through separate doors, it's really nice, you have people greeting you, you, you have big cushioned chairs. Um, they should have charged much more for the experience. 100%. Versus just a couple bucks more in the hopes that you would then go there for everything else.
0: Yeah. No, I, I told, I told, I told Amy last night, <laughs> I'm like, this <laughs> should.
1: Like, I should... would have never known that yeah. in, you know, building it. But, um, but that just shows you how powerful it is to, uh, to have, to, to charge for these special experiences and understand mm-hmm. that the experience is what you're charging for. Yeah. Um, that people will pay for, you know, put like a velvet rope, like a bouncer at the front of it. Oh, let me see if you're on the – oh, you're on the list. Ring a little bell outside. Yeah, welcome. You to walk in.
0: Good to see you again, John. Yeah. What are you sure. watching tonight? Sure. Like, it's like little things like this, guys. And I think this is where Starbucks kind of got it right was they kind of, you know, for regulars, they kind of got to know you by name. They'd greet you by, yeah. you know, by your name. They kind of know your drink. Not, yeah. I mean, not everyone behind the bar is the same, but I think they kind of got that – they got that – pretty good in terms of the scale of their business, but there's still so many opportunities there.
1: Like if you ask a customer what they want, they'll all say that they want the best service at the lowest price. Yeah. And then you watch how they act, and people buy Starbucks coffee. (laughs) It's like, well, no, actually, we're gonna give you like mediocre coffee at the highest price, and you're gonna line up at the door for it. Mm -hmm. So clearly, customers aren't able to articulate what they actually want. I mean, we know this.
0: We didn't know we wanted an iPod before it came out. Sure. That's, and that's where entrepreneurs, that's that's where the genius comes. It's like you look at, as an entrepreneur, as a creative visionary, you're like, here's a gap in, in, in an experience in the marketplace or whatever, here's an idea that I think would really meet people's needs. And either it works or it doesn't, but
2: because
0: mm-hmm. there's two ways of looking at this. Some people say like get all the market research, find out what people want, give that to them, which I think can work to a certain degree. But I think the real breakthroughs are when you can identify what people want, yes. in a way that they can't even express it themselves.
1: I think you need to really, really, deeply understand your market. Yeah. Um, I'll give you. I'll give you a prime example of this. Yuri. I've done multiple bouts of 100 plus phone calls with personal trainers, fitness coaches, nutrition coaches around the world. Mm-hmm. where We've spoken to them for many from 9 to 15 minutes, basically asking what frustrates them about the industry, what are their goals. In addition, we've done, I mean, hundreds of thousands of data points, probably millions at this point, I don't even know, We stopped counting, of, of surveys of data points, of observational data. And overwhelmingly, we were told by fitness professionals, I just don't want to post on social media. Or like, I'm overwhelmed. Like, I feel like I should be posting on social media all this time, but I can't come up with stuff or I don't have these ideas. It was always, it it was often stuff like that when it came down to marketing. Mm -hmm. And so the obvious solution to that would have been to do a done for you posting service. Here's a batch of of, of posts that you can copy and like make your own and and copy and paste and put them up. Uh, Here's a VA service that will post on your behalf. That would have been the obvious solution to that, but that's not the problem. The problem isn't social media. The problem is overwhelm. The problem is you have this huge batch of fitness and nutrition and and holistic health professionals who deeply want to be marketing their business and know that they need to be doing something, but are overwhelmed with all of the things that they think that they should be doing. The internet has given us infinite content, and when there's infiniteness, there's no finality. When there's no finality, there's no permission to take action. Mm-hmm. You're never done. There's always one more thing that you need to know. And so, so because we spoke to so many people, because we have all this data, realized that that was the real problem, that there was this frustration bubbling under the surface, that people were never given that permission to take action, and so they never were. You and I both know that if somebody takes action, even in perfect action, they're probably going to have results that they're happy with. But, but it's that permission to just do the dang thing that's needed. And so, so I took a step back and I created an analog newsletter called Fitness Marketing Monthly that we literally print and ship to your house. Now, that's crazy. And it's unbelievably complicated to put together as a project. But the sell for this is not that this information and content is unique or you can't find it anywhere else occasionally we get like behind the curtain stuff, you know, like the editor in chief of Men's Health gives us the top headlines and changes to headlines that have ever performed for the entire company. Hmm. Like, that's pretty cool. And that's stuff that you can't get anywhere else. But for the most part, it's not. And I'll be the first to admit that. But what you get with this and what our sellers with this is in two to three hours a month, we will send to your doorstep Everything that you need to know so that you're confident that you're learning enough about marketing and business development that month. We teach you how to go through it with two highlighters. Highlight for take action now. Highlight for revisit later. Mm-hmm. And when you close the last page, and this is like an analog status bar, right? All of the pages on the right side of the book go to the left side, and it's it's a status bar. So so when you shut that last page, you've finished, and it's time to take action. Yeah. So, so, so that... Solve the problem. And this thing exploded out of the gate. And nobody knew that they wanted it. Nobody would have ever said that they want more information that they'd be willing to pay a premium for delivered to their house in print. Nobody would have said that to us if we ever ever asked them. But we understood the market well enough.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, you understand the market and the current time in which we're living, which is the digital age, And the huge opportunity is sending physical stuff to people's doorsteps because I love getting newsletters. I love reading physical stuff um, because it it gives me a chance to step away from the Internet. It gives me a chance to sit down on a chair in a focused manner. And I think there's a there's a perceived value that this is more important to pay attention to. Yes. And I think all of that combined is, is I think, you know, for everyone listening, not that you have to do newsletter, but. Sending stuff to people in the mail is a big opportunity.
1: Yeah, I mean, think about think about your own experiences. Um, it hit me like probably three years ago. It really this this I've, I've been thinking about doing something like this since 2013, um, but it really hit me about three years ago. And I remember I remember the point. It was. This is when I was on a whole bunch of people's email lists and stuff like that. And I had I had a whole bunch of books that I really wanted to read. I had a whole bunch of ebooks on my computer that I was interested in. I was subscribed to a bunch of newsletters from people that I actually wanted to hear from, who who send interesting information and you know other stuff that they write or links to stuff. And I really wanted to to know this stuff. And I get home and there's this flyer from this company that I never heard of, that I don't care about, that arrived in my like, just it's junk, and I'm sitting there at the dang kitchen table, and I'm flipping through this flyer. It completely usurped everything that I actually wanted to be going over, mm-hmm. everything that I wanted to know, everything that I wanted to be studying. This this flyer from this company, I don't care about it. But a topic that I don't care about is what I was sitting there reading. It's like, man, there's something there. Yeah, totally.
0: There. Big, uh, for everyone listening, what's uh, what's the URL they can subscribe or check out the newsletter?
1: The newsletter, well, if you go to it'll redirect you, or the PTDC, which is my website, T-H-E-P-T-D-C slash F-M-M.
0: Cool. We'll be sure to link up to that in the show notes for you guys. John, this has been awesome, buddy. Um, always great insights from the Renaissance man.
1: Are you ready for the Rapid Five? Yeah, but I'm never good with these because I'm. All, I always talk too much. All right, I'll try to be quick.
0: Okay, whatever. It's all good. It's all good. All right. So here we go. Number one, what is your biggest weakness?
1: My biggest weakness. Oh. I think my biggest weakness is getting sucked into new projects too quickly. Cool. And the way that I've offset that biggest weakness is surrounding myself with an incredible team. To take an idea and run with it.
0: Nice. That's awesome. Uh, What's your biggest strength?
1: Coming up with new ideas.
0: True entrepreneur.
1: Um, Oh, through and through. Like like personality tests are hilarious. Yeah. Every single one that I've ever taken and gotten assessed shows so clearly that I should be coming up with ideas and not managing anything ever. So
0: this is, I've I've actually recorded a a solo podcast around this, like ideas versus execution. And there's this whole discussion we can talk about forever, but I really believe that ideas are where the money's at. It's not in the execution, because you can have anyone or technology pretty much execute anything. So if you have perfect execution, the only thing that makes better than what you currently have is a better idea. So ideas are infinite in terms of this, the... The, perf- the impact they can create versus the impact the execution can create. Do you agree?
1: Right. Um, I think I'd like to have a much deeper conversation. Yeah. I agree with some parts of that, I don't agree with some parts of that. I think that execution is, is what sets a lot of people apart. Yeah. I think execution is hard, execution takes work. Ideas are sexy, ideas feel good, ideas are dreams and, and dreams are dopamine hits and we're addicted to dreaming. And then the actual execution is, is the hard, painful part where we have to actually map out the behaviors mm-hmm. and do the day-to-day work. And no matter how much of an ideator you or I are, and I think we both very much are ideators, no matter how much you are as an ideator, you still need to set up the processes for execution, even yeah. if you're not doing it at the beginning. And, and that takes time, and that can be unbelievably difficult. And I think that's why a lot of people with good ideas don't don't ever really make much of them, is because they're not able to set up that structure around them. Yeah,
0: no, it's. it's, I think the whole conversation is uh, predicated on the idea that your execution has to be in place already, because if you're just daydreaming, it's it's never going to happen. But anyways, maybe we'll do we'll do a follow up episode on this on this conversation. Yeah,
1: or just, or just go for a walk along the water and talk about it. Exactly, and we'll just record it. Oh, sure, <laughs> you are you, the content guy, man. I just I just like talking with people.
0: Cool. <laughs> um, all right, so question number three here um, what what's one skill you've become dangerously good at in order to grow your business? Writing. Yeah, he's an amazing writer, guys. Just I think just being. Uh, a subscriber to the newsletter,
1: you'll see. You'll see that. Uh, fourth, I, I think writing is the number one most valuable transferable skill in business today. Bar none. Yeah. Cool.
0: Number four. What do you do first thing in the morning?
1: I look over to my wife. I ask her if she died overnight, and then if I smell poop, I clean it up.
0: <laughs> if she died overnight.
1: Well, like this is the funny thing. Whenever anybody's talking about. Like your morning routines is that anytime any anytime you ever hear about this like spectacular morning routine it's always by a single white male, and it's just like oh I wake up and I and I and I sit up in bed and I meditate for five minutes to to make sure my thoughts are clear and then I and then I free write in a journal to get all the bad ideas out of my head and then I and then I take out my next journal which is which is my gratitude journal and I talk about what I'm grateful for the day and then maybe I'll get up and. I'll start mixing my matcha green tea, you know, in the traditional way because, because it has to be purposeful. Of course, you have to start your day with purpose, and 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 every morning I make my bed because you know y- you don't know what you can't control over the course of a day, and if you make your bed, then you've at least started your day with something you chose. Like no, I got a baby. I look over to my wife, and I make sure that she's alive and how many times she had to be up in the night to look after the baby mm-hmm. and then there's probably poop somewhere like that's my morning and that's a realistic morning and i think i think we need to we need to put it into perspective and and understand you know there's nothing wrong with those like absolutely ridiculous glorified morning routines but <laughs> it just ain't the reality for a lot of people and it's and it's basically always single white men who are talking about them
0: well, dude, I can say for me, having a morning routine. Like, if I don't get up before my kids, right? Uh, when I so my my goal is to get up at five a.m. every day. It's for the last couple of weeks, it's been a shit show. It hasn't really happened. That's more out of laziness on my own part than anything else. But usually, I find myself a better person when mm-hmm. I have my morning time for myself, where I get up. Not that I do a thousand things, but it might just be something like I have an hour to work on my most important stuff. I'll yeah. do some basic movement stuff or whatever I have to do for that. And then I think when it comes to gratitude, I think a lot of people like I, I'm all for gratitude journaling and stuff, but sometimes gratitude is like just laying in bed looking at your wife and just feeling that.
1: Right? Oh. Well, this is mean, we're, we're both good friends with, with UJ and Alex who yeah. created the five minute journal. And and really, I mean, I would I would say that they're the ones who pushed forward the gratitude movement, and entrepreneurs and more than anybody else. Yeah. And yeah. um one thing that I got from Alex in in chatting with him is gratitude walks. I mean, yeah, go like go for a walk and speak with your wife about what you're what you're grateful for. I think that's very really important. No, I mean, you know, like like I joke. Um, like in an ideal week, I will do the same thing as you. I'll wake up before them every single morning, Monday to Friday. Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, I write for thirty minutes. Tuesday and Thursday, I go for a workout, and then I'm back at about the same time that they wake up. Mm-hmm. And I do breakfast with him and stuff like that. That's an ideal week. Yeah. Um, How often that happens five days a week? Uh, I don't know if it's happened yet. (laughs) It's all good. But that's definitely an ideal week.
0: Yeah. Awesome. All right, man. Fifth and final question. Oh, it's not even a question, actually. It's um, just basically complete the statement. So I know I'm being successful when?
1: When I'm energized, start to finish over the course of my day. Awesome. And, and that comes down primarily to preparation. When I find that I'm sitting there and I've got uh, sort of a cloudy brain and I'm low energy, it's not for lack of things to do. It's not for lack of interesting things to do. It's, it's a lack of preparation of my work and prioritization of what I should be doing in that moment. My schedule now start to finish of the week. Every 30 minutes is scheduled and it's not necessarily scheduled with calls or meetings or something like that. It's like these 30 minutes, I'm going to be working on this project and I do it two or three nights before that day. And I'll map out two days, three days. And when I'm doing that mapping out process, I'll take an hour at night one night after my kid goes to bed and I'll arrange all of my notes for all of the different blocks of time. And, and what that does is a few things. One, I can sit down and get right to it. You know, I don't need to sit down and spend 10 minutes like, okay, what notes do I need for this? Okay, blah, blah, blah. But the other thing is there's no FOMO. There's no fear of missing out. If I know that if I'm working on this thing now, that in an objective state is what I decided was the most important thing for me to tackle at that time. Yep. Knowing that the other important things to tackle are still going to get done. And I think that's made the biggest difference for me. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: There we go, guys. John Goodman in the house. Uh, John, again, the URLs for people to, or I mean, other than the URLs or URLs and uh, best place for people to follow you online.
1: And the best place for people to follow me online if you want my sort of personal blog, onlinetrainer.com. Uh, I spent way too much money on that domain, so use it. And then um, the Personal Trainer Development Center. I mean, if you're if you're a personal trainer, fitness professional, if you're interested in the fitness marketing uh, newsletter, then it's then it's the PTDc fmm or you can just do fitnessmarketingmonthly.com, and it'll take you there.
0: Cool. Awesome, buddy. Thanks so much for being on the show, man. It's always great to, to get inside the brain and have you uh, share your wisdom with us.
1: You bet, man. Thank you.
0: All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I mean, so this is this is the cool thing. Uh, John was he spoke at HealthPrinter Live last year, and you know, obviously as you know, as part of the the, the Health Printer tribe, you know, people got to hang out with him and not just see him from stage and then take off. Like he was with us for the whole three and a half days, and it was just an amazing. Uh, it's so cool to see what everyone is talking about uh, as a reflection of their conversations with him. And, and that's the beautiful thing about being able to spend time with entrepreneurs and thinkers like this is just you get to s- surround yourself with them. And it's just so, so valuable. So one of the things that I wanna leave you with as an action step today, I think this would be a really good practice for your business is one simple thank you card. I want you to write one thank you card to a customer or a client, we'll keep it business focused, and just let them know you appreciate them. You appreciate their business. You, you know, whatever it is. Um, no special offers. No like anything else like that. It's just a simple thank you card with your handwriting. Okay, not typed into a computer. Your handwriting saying, you know, hey, you know, hey Bob, just really wanted to let you know that super proud of you and all the work you're doing. So grateful to have you as a client and uh, I look forward to more awesome stuff together. Like literally something as simple as that and giving them a bit of acknowledgement for maybe something they've done well or the very fact that you just appreciate them. And if you make this a practice uh, throughout the rest of your business journey, I guarantee this will be probably one of the most impactful activities that you do as the business owner. And this is something you cannot delegate, okay? This is not something you delegate to somebody else to write on your behalf. As we talked about in 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 our conversation, it's like, if you're gonna do it, do it genuinely. Don't pawn this off, don't delegate this, don't look to scale this and systemize it and send it off to a company who's gonna like all, you know, just you and your penmanship, write a card to someone, okay? So that's gonna be my action step for you today. So hope you've enjoyed this one. If you have, remember to check out John's stuff online. Really, really good. And uh, at the very minimum, remember to subscribe to the Health Printer podcast. Lots more great stuff coming your way. And um, you know what? Yeah, it's uh, by the time you're listening to this, we will be in the talking about Health Printer Live. Like this will be day one. But like the day that you're listening to this is day one at Healthpreneur Live 2018. So I'm looking forward to giving you a synopsis of how the event went after this weekend. Um, we've brought together some amazing people again this year. And one important announcement that I will make for next year's event, which will also be at some point in September, is that we will no longer be opening it up to the public. And so if you missed out this year, sorry to say that you're never gonna be able to join us again. And the only way around that is actually to be a client of ours. And the reason we, we decided to make this shift is because moving forward, we want Health Printer Live to be only for our clients and for it to be a big family gathering. So more on that later, but hope you've enjoyed this interview. I'm going to finish off on that note and hope you have an awesome rest of your day. Looking forward to bringing you some awesome recaps and interviews next week. And we'll talk to you then.